Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. I have made known, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amazing. Thanks, Paula. Um, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series today. Uh, we're going to be starting a series looking at Jesus and the Psalms. Uh, it might seem like a strange idea, the fact that we can find Jesus, a character that we're introduced to in the New Testament. We can find him in the book of the Psalms, which is in the Old Testament and was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Jesus, however, tells us that the, not just the Psalms, but the whole of the Old Testament is, is written about him. He is the main theme and the main character in the Old Testament, even though he's never actually mentioned by name. If we look at uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 44, this is Jesus speaking to um, a couple of guys by the side of the road. At this point, Jesus has died on the cross and been raised from the dead, and he's speaking to them, and he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And that that little phrase, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, is a way of referring to the whole of the Old Testament. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying everything that's happened, everything that's happened in my life and, and with me dying on the cross and with me rising from the dead, that was all written about in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was there so that you would know that this was going to happen. And he says, I am the central figure of the whole of the Old Testament. And so when we come to looking at the book of the Psalms, it's not actually that surprising that we find Jesus in them and we can learn about Jesus in the Psalms. And what I want to do today is look at Psalm 16 in particular and show you kind of how this theory works out in practice. And it's a real uh, joy for me to preach on Psalm 16. It's possibly uh, one of my favorite psalms when I started reading through the psalms, um, starting at number one. I got to about 16, and I thought, this one's great. I'll stop here, because uh, there's loads more, and I just don't have the time. But I really like this psalm. But before we get into that, has any, can anybody remember the film Twister? Like, like Helen Hunt, I think it was Bill Pullman or Bill Paxton, I can never remember. Hands up if you've seen it. 
Good, most of you. Okay, the general plot of the film Twister is there's a group of scientists, American scientists, obviously, and um, they want to work out how tornadoes form, and they want to work it out so that they can work out when a tornado is going to start and what path it's going to take so that they can warn people in the path of the tornado to get out of the way. And there's one scene, they're looking for a Force 5 tornado, which is like the strongest type of tornado. And they're, they're in a town, an American town, and they're just hanging out, having some coffee. And this tornado starts like just over the other side of the hill, and it starts tracking towards them. And they're like, oh, oh my goodness, you see the lightning, and it like lights up this tornado as it comes over the hill. And they're like, we've got to run, we've got to run for safety. So they're like running around the town, yelling to all these people, you've got to get down, get underground, get to safety. This is an American accent, by the way. <laughs> and so they're yelling to everybody, you've got to run for refuge. So as the tornado starts ripping through this town, the main characters run into this mechanics yard, and they run into like the bit underneath the cars, which is kind of underground, and they run in there, and the tornado sweeps overhead. It rips the roof off the, off the building that they're in. Things start flying around. It's the mechanics yard, so there's things flying into the wall, bits of metal flying everywhere. They're all bunkered down, waiting for it to pass. And after it's passed, they all come out with barely a, a scratch on them. Helen Hunt's makeup still looks perfect, like nothing's happened. And the reason that they managed to survive is because they'd taken refuge in the right place. They were underground, they were out of the way as the tornado came over. So the tornado destroys buildings and businesses, but these guys managed to survive because they'd taken refuge in the right place. And this psalm similarly begins with David, who's the author of the psalm, talking about this idea of taking refuge. And taking refuge is something that we do every day, all the time. Everybody in this room will take some kind of refuge on a regular basis. So I want to start by asking the question, why do we seek refuge? Now, in the film Twister, it's obvious why the characters want to seek refuge. There's a massive life-threatening storm coming, and they want to get out of the way. In this psalm, we see in verse 1 the reason David is seeking refuge. He says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. So David is seeking refuge because he wants safety. And it's not really that surprising. If you read the life of David, it's kind of like a dramatic soap opera. Um, Early on in his life, he's threatened with death at the hands of a nine-foot-tall Philistine giant called Goliath. As he grows up, he's threatened with death again at the hands of King Saul, his jealous predecessor on the throne as king of Israel. And then he grows up and has a son called Absalom, and yet again, he's threatened with death. You can see a common theme, because his son is jealous of him and wants to kill him. So I'm not exactly sure when David wrote this psalm, but it's not hard to imagine that as David is writing it, his life is in a difficult or painful situation It may even be that his life is being threatened. And he just wants to run. He wants to run to a place where he's going to be safe. He wants to run to a place of shelter and protection where he can find some kind of relief, some kind of escape from what he's going through. And in the same way today, we will all seek refuge at some point in our lives. It might not be for the same reason. Your life might not be being threatened, although for some of you that may have been the case. But I've spoken to people over the last few weeks, and there's quite a variety of reasons why today we want to run and we want to seek refuge. 
For some, it's because they've had the pain of seeing a family member go into some kind of illness. And they just want to take refuge away from the uncertainty and the pain and the chaos that seems to be reigning in one area of their life. They want to run to a place where there's some security and some stability and things aren't out of control. They want to run to that kind of a refuge. For other people, it's been their work and their, their kind of performance at work is being tracked compared to other employees and like they, they know how close they are to either being praised or being fired and their bosses are just like, you've got to push harder, you've got to sell more. I don't care if you've got to work overtime, you've just got to get to the top of this leaderboard. And they, these guys just want to run to a place where there's no need for them to work for somebody else's approval. There's no need for them to have to work really hard to be accepted. They want to run to a refuge where they're accepted just because they're a human being and they should be accepted. What I've noticed about myself while preparing this preach um, is... Sorry, that's a later point. I find myself... Uh, <laughs> It's a good point, but I don't need to make it twice. It's a, I found, so I found myself seeking uh, refuge from the pressures of this new role with Mosaic Church. Um, I love the new job that I've been given. I love the people I work with. But every time I stand at the front of church, all I can think is, do these guys think I'm better than Dan and Hannah? Or, or not? Like, how, how do I compare how am I approved of? How am I accepted when I stand at the front? And I just I want to run to a place where I'm not working to impress you guys, but I'm just accepted for who I am and approved of for what I do, regardless of how well I do it. So there are lots of reasons why we take refuge. This morning, if I were to ask you the question of what do you want refuge from right now, what would you say? What areas of your life are you just feel that, that is too much right now? This is just that situation is too pressurizing. I just feel too overwhelmed by this situation. What is making you want to run and hide in a place of safety? There are lots of external reasons and external pressures why we want to run and seek a refuge, and I've given you a few examples, and I'm sure you can think of your own. But I think there's one overarching factor which drives us to our place of refuge. And it's that we believe that our refuge promises us something. We believe our refuge will provide an escape from what we're going through. Like when the pressure hits, the stressful situation arises, the, this emotional roller coaster that we're on just takes a nosedive. We run to our refuge because we believe this will provide the escape from what I'm going through. This is a way out of the condition that I'm feeling at the moment. This is a moment of respite and a moment away from the pressures of the world. So my second question to you is where do you go? Like, where is it that you run to seek your refuge and to seek your place of safety? We live in a culture today that offers hundreds of different types of refuge, of escapism, of temporary relief. Like when you want to run from a problem, this culture has thousands of refuges that you can run to. So maybe, I'm just going to throw a few examples out there. 
Maybe your refuge is comfort foods. You have a bad day at work, and so you stop off at McDonald's on the way home, or when you get back in from work, you crack open a packet of biscuits. Why do you do that? Well, you do it because you're going to get some immediate, temporary pleasure, and a quick buzz that's going to give you the fix that you need to make it through to the next part of the day. Or maybe your refuge, you find refuge in isolation, in taking isolation, a place where nobody can add to your to-do list, no one can ask anything else of you to do. You can just switch off from the demands of the world. Maybe you do that through a couple of hours of going on Facebook, through some time in a good book, reading a magazine, having a long bath, playing video games. These all offer us a chance to escape the realities of what's going on and to dive for a short time into a different world where we get some kind of respite, where we forget to forget the troubles of this world, even if it's just for a moment. Now, while preparing for this preach, this is the point I was making earlier, I've noticed that I find refuge in some really obvious places, but in some really innocuous places as well. And this will prove to you that I'm a total geek, because what I found out was one of my most common places of refuge when the pressure really hits, when I'm really up against it, where do I run? Doctor Who on BBC iPlayer. <laughs> if I've had a bad day at work, I just want to get home, load up the computer, put on BBC iPlayer, and dive into a world of like the doctor and his assistant running against aliens, and it's always the end of the world, and he never dies because it's amazing. And <laughs> it's, it's a totally different world to the one I'm going through. It's a world where nobody can add to an email list or a never-ending to-do list. Nobody nags me that I've forgotten to ring my mum again and I've really got to get on that. Like, Doctor Who doesn't, you know, doesn't pressurise me to do those kind of things. <laughs> so let me ask you, like, where is your place of refuge today? Maybe a good question to help you find out is when you're driving on the way home from work or when you've just had a bad day and you're going home, what's the first thing you want to do when you get through the door? Or if you suddenly find yourself with a free evening, what do you want to do with that three or four hours? What's the first thing you go, this is what I'm going to do this evening? Think back to the last time something went massively wrong in your life. Where did you run? What was your place of safety? Now, please hear me on this. A lot of what I've actually just listed are good things, and they're God-given things. God gives us fun and relationships and friendships. He's the source of what makes Doctor Who so entertaining, because he gives us humor and creativity and entertainment and interest. God wants us to enjoy our food, our hobbies, our friendships, even through Facebook, he is, not, sorry, he is a fan of having a nice drink with friends, of playing sports and reading good books. However, he doesn't want these to become our place of refuge because that's not what they're designed for. They are not capable of bringing us the lasting relief that we seek, the constant support that we need, or providing each day for the needs of that day. In the first two verses of this psalm, David states, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So 
David chooses to take his refuge in God. He runs to God to keep him safe. For David, God is the person who will provide his place of refuge, his place of safety, a place where he'll find relief from his pain and escape from his enemies, where he is going to be cared for, and ultimately where he'll find relief and support. Now in verse 2, David isn't saying that God is the only good thing there is. What he is saying is that if he goes through life without God, apart from God and alone, then these other good things, food, family, friendships, relationships, etc., they're not going to be able to satisfy him. They're not going to be able to fulfill his desires because that's not, where that's not what they're designed to do. They're incapable of providing for what he needs. He's always going to find a longing for more inside. He's always going to find an emptiness. David is saying something huge in these first two verses of this psalm. He's not saying, I'm just looking for any old place of refuge in anywhere will do. He's saying, I'm looking for the one true refuge. I'm looking for the one place that I can always go and I will always find safety. I will always find relief. I will always find freedom from the pain I'm going through. I will always find a place of peace and refuge. And David says the only place you find that is refuge in God and with God. And today, Nikki's baptism symbolizes her belief that now God is the one true refuge that she can run to at any point of the day, any time of her life. So what would you say you believe about God today? Would you say he's your only place of refuge? Have you ever even thought about the idea of God as a refuge? Is that a new concept? Today, is an opportunity for you to run to him. It might be for the hundredth time, but it also provides an opportunity for you to decide to run to God for the first time and say, yeah, I want you to be my shelter and my safety and my refuge. But to be fair, I've got to give you a fuller picture of what it looks like to have this true refuge so what I want to do is look at verses 5 through 8 and see what David talks about, what, what picture he paints of this true refuge. In verses 5 to 8, can we have the next slide up? It says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion of my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So firstly, at the beginning, these verses tell us that by taking refuge in God, David receives daily provision. He says, I receive a portion, symbolizing his food. I receive a cup, symbolizing the drink I need. And I receive a lot, meaning a place to live that's secure. Secondly, in David's time and in his context, the land, or the way he refers to it here, the boundary lines, um, and the inheritance, so the boundary lines a person lived in and the inheritance they received, said a massive amount about that person's security and their status in life. And David is saying here that by finding refuge in God, he has a constant access 
to a pleasant place, and he is assured of a delightful inheritance. And he's not saying this is based on what the world gives. He's not saying this is based on his current circumstances. He's saying it's based on the fact that he has open access to God, and he can go to God, and he can find in God a pleasant place and a delightful inheritance, regardless of what his worldly and earthly situation is like. Thirdly, and this is possibly the one I love most, he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me. Finding refuge in God means that God speaks to David, counsels David, guides David, gives David the right perspective on life, gives him the right outlook for what he's about to face. And it's not just when David's on his knees in prayer to God. It's even at night as he sleeps, the Lord is watching over David and guiding him. And lastly, David says, the Lord is at my right hand. It's another way of saying the Lord is right hand. The Lord is standing next to me and fighting for me and with me. In these situations that I'm going through, God's right alongside me and he's with me in those situations. He's able to come through through life's difficult times because God is strengthening him. How does your refuge stack up against this description of refuge in God's? Does the refuge you run to offer you daily provision? Like, can your video game put food on the table? Can your favorite TV show, so can Doctor Who come and pour me a drink? Does the refuge that you run to now always provide you a pleasant place to go? Have you ever found that you've, you've wanted to run for safety and relief, so you've run to a family member or a friend, only to find that they're shattered or they're so tired or they're so weighed down with what they're going through that they actually need you to support them. And far from being a place of refuge, it's a place that you have to give out to and it's emotional energy that you don't have, but you're giving it away. Like, does Facebook guide you as you sleep? If it does, it shouldn't. Can a glass of whiskey after work or a long bath counsel your heart at night? And does the sneaky chocolate bar that you have to give you the quick sugar rush at work take a stand alongside you in the daily struggles of your life? Is it you and a massive lion bar? (laughs) Of course they don't. They can't. These are not designed as refuges. God alone is where we find our true refuge Let me just flick back up to verse 4 for a moment because I skipped it out earlier. Verse 4 starts with, The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. And David is saying something here that we all know to be true. He's saying that there are other gods apart from the one true God. He's saying there are other places we can run and put our trust in. But he's saying these other gods are really no gods at all. They're false gods. They're false refuges. And we shouldn't put our trust in them. David even writes, the sorrows of those will increase who run after these other gods, these false refuges. What he's saying is something we all know deep down, that our false refuges leave us empty and dissatisfied. Let me just work through a few practical examples with you. Let's say your refuge is Facebook, and I'm not having a go at Facebook. Please hear me on that. I'm just using it as an example. 
but you log into Facebook because it gives you a sense of intimacy and connection with your friends, which is fine. But let me also ask you, have you ever felt a sense of rejection when somebody takes, you a while, somebody takes a while to accept the friend request that you sent them? Or they take a while to post on your wall on your birthday, and you can tell who they are because it's 11.59 at night, and they just write it, happy birthday, and you're like, you forgot. You've just logged into your Facebook before you go to sleep, and now you've just seen it's my birthday, and that's why you've written a message on, so I don't really feel like that's true intimacy. I actually feel kind of rejected that you didn't know it was my birthday before then. And I'm not pointing out anybody in the room who's done that. <laughs> or they take ages to respond to an event invitation that you've sent them. Do you feel the need to check into Facebook, or for that matter, your Twitter account, or for me, it's my emails, to see if someone's written to you, to see if someone's commented on what you've said, to see if somebody's liked your status update or retweeted the thing that you tweeted, which at the time was the most important thing you could tweet in 140 characters. This is a false refuge. It's a refuge of finding your safety in other people, in their communication with you, and ultimately their acceptance of what you've said. David is saying that finding the true refuge in God is to be in a place where you're accepted regardless of how many likes you've got on your status and where you're valued regardless of how many followers you have on Twitter or how big your email inbox is when you come back from your holidays. He's saying the God of the universe decides to invite you in to the pleasant place and the delightful inheritance where he resides where he wants to provide for your needs and he wants to counsel you and be at your right hand. Different example. Maybe your refuge at the moment is to diet and go to the gym every day because you're about to go on holiday and you want a good beach body, but more importantly, you want people to know that you've got a good beach body and you don't want people to look at you and think they put on a bit of weight. And I'm guilty of doing this. I went to France two weeks ago and I hardly ate the week before. <laughs> you want people's acceptance. You want to find your satisfaction in what people think about you. It's a false refuge all over again. Because if you ever found that you look in the mirror and the reflection, however good it is, is still not quite right. There's still another 1% of body fat that you can lose. There's still a muscle definition that you want to get just a bit better. There's still when you stand side on, it could still be flatter, thinner more defined. You seek satisfaction in how attractive people think you are, but it will not provide the long-term satisfaction you're looking for. The true satisfaction is only found through coming to God as your refuge and letting him be the one who's always speaking to you, always affirming that regardless of what you look like, he thinks you are a beautiful child of God's. And let's face it, if the God of the universe says you're a beautiful child, Really, why does it matter what anybody else would say about you if that's his verdict on your life? As David puts it in verse 9, true refuge in God's leads to his heart beating in his chest as a glad heart and his tongue rejoicing and praising God for the kind of refuge he's provided David. What I want to do to end is I want to look at how we can all find this refuge today, how we can all have access to this beautiful place of refuge in God, where he cares for us, where he leads us and looks out for our goods. 
But the problem is the Bible actually tells us we've got two problems when it comes to finding refuge in God. The first one is the Bible tells us that we're separated from God. We're separated because we've sinned, which, putting it simply, is we've not lived life the way that God wanted us to live it. God is a perfect and holy God. He is the God who gives good and right gifts. He's also the judge of all our actions, and he knows where we fail to live lives worthy of him. And if that, if that kind of grates on you a little bit, the question to ask yourself is, have I lived a perfect life? Because perfection is the standard that God sets. I've never met anybody who's, met, who's led a perfect life, a life worthy of God. We have all failed to reach God's standards. So failure is number one, but not only have we failed to meet his standards, the Bible also tells us that we've actually chosen to just run away from God. We've chosen to rebel against God and to run in the opposite direction. It's something I notice myself doing day in, day out, because I choose to run away from him as the true refuge, and I just run to these false refuges that don't satisfy. So firstly, we failed, and secondly, we've rejected him. So we're actually unable to find refuge in God because we're separated from him and we're unwilling to find refuge because we want to run elsewhere. So the question still stands, how do we find this refuge in God? Well, we need somebody to come and bridge the gap that separates us from God. But we also need somebody to come who's going to change our hearts to make us actually want to run back to God. It's not enough just for the separation to be um, bridged. We also need somebody to come and change our hearts, change our desires to run back to God. And what we believe as Christians and what Nikki was uh, professing to earlier as she got baptized is that we believe Jesus Christ is the person who does both these things. We believe he's the son of God who came to earth and he lived without sin. He lived the life we needed to live. He lived with perfection. He lived a life worthy of God. Every time we failed and we sinned, he was found obedient and perfect. Jesus Christ was arrested and he was nailed to two bits of wood that formed a cross and executed On the cross, Jesus takes upon himself all the punishment that we deserve for the things we've done wrong, all the punishment that we deserve for the evil that we've done in our lives. But instead of falling on us, it falls on Jesus. On the cross, he takes our place, and he is separated from God the Father. He is abandoned for all the times that we choose to abandon God and to run away from him. But he did it so that the separation between us and God could be bridged. He did it so that that could be mended, and so this divide that stood between us and God could be taken away, and the door gets opened into a relationship with God. But it's not just that the door is opened. Jesus dies on the cross, and he's raised to life. The power of God raises him from the dead. He ascends to heaven. So has he left us alone? Do we just have to figure it out for ourselves now? No. He sends his Holy Spirit. If you choose to believe that Jesus 
if you choose to believe, or if you believe already that Jesus took your punishment for your sin, if you choose to believe that he died on the cross for you, it also opens the door to letting the Holy Spirit come and to live in you, to change your heart, to change your desires, to give you this hunger to run through this open door and back into refuge in God. The truth is that God loves you like so much. God loves me so much. God loves us so much that he would send his son to die on a cross. He loves you and me so much that he sends his son so that we might see that the door is open and we might walk through it into this true and perfect refuge. The truth is God loves you. God wants to counsel you. God wants to stand alongside you. God wants to be fighting alongside you. Ultimately, God wants to make your hearts glad and your tongues rejoice with praise that he is the true refuge. What I'd like to do is I'm going to invite the band back up and they're just going to uh, play in the background. I want you to stay seated for just a moment and I'm going to... um, I'm going to pray Psalm 16 kind of over us and um, I want there to kind of be two two kinds of response that we can make. Um, It might be today you've come here for the first time, may even be the first time you've stepped into church and you've heard about God for the first time and you've heard about him as a true refuge and something has stirred inside you and you've thought, that is something I want to know more about. That is something I want to step into. Well, what I want to do is, as I'm praying this psalm, I want you to be thinking um, and just opening yourself up to let, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about the love that God has for you, the desire that God has for you to be welcomed into his presence and be welcomed into his refuge. And for those people who are here and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe you've just become a Christian and you're just, you're just up against it in life and you just feel so tired sometimes or so overwhelmed and you, you recognize that you're running to these false refuges day in and day out and you just want to take a moment to stop, to stop running to the false refuges, to turn and to just run with arms open into the true refuge that is God's. What I want you to do if you feel comfortable is if you just, uh, maybe if you just lean forward and and hold out your hands. The only reason for holding out your hands is it's a symbol of being open to God and being open to almost like receiving a gift is a good explanation for it. And as I pray this psalm, I just want you to let the words reverberate in your head and let them be true for you. Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God. For in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, You have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. 
I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen. Amen.